3: And we're going to be right here along with you fans, covering every episode on the podcast.
0: Listen to MTV's official Challenge Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Manis. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder.
2: All doctors to the ER.
4: It's sort of like getting punched in the face, Chris, Chris Mannix. All right, welcome in SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got a great conversation with Kevin Ioli, senior boxing writer over at Yahoo Sports. A lot of talk about fighter safety in boxing after what was a really bad incident in Oklahoma this past week. We get into that. A Canelo opponent is lurking out there. Might we see Canelo back in the ring before the end of the year? And Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell, that fight is set. What do we make of that kind of fight for Ryan Garcia? I talk about that much more with Kevin Ioli. A little bit later on, Claressa Shields, two-time Olympic gold medalist, three-division world champion. She's got a lot to say in this episode about her place in boxing, why she thinks she might not be long for boxing, what she thought of Cecilia Brakis' fight this past weekend, that and much more with Claressa Shields. If you like this podcast, very easy way to support it. Get over to Apple Podcasts post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Kevin Ioli. All right, Kevin Ioli is here, senior boxing and MMA writer over at Yahoo Sports coming to us from Las Vegas. What's the weather like? in Las Vegas? These well, days, Kevin.
5: the weather is so bad in Las Vegas that they are telling us between two and nine to close all the windows, the blinds, uh, turn off, unplug any appliances you're not using. Don't use your oven. Don't use your stove because it is a little hot. We set record temperatures the last couple of days. It is freaking sizzling. And you know how much I love to play golf and I haven't even been going golfing. So that's how crazy the weather is here right now.
4: I tell you what, as someone that goes to the NBA Summer League every year in July, I, I, that's one thing I don't miss. I don't miss the, that weather in the summer. This uh, makes that London. July
5: weather look balmy, what we got right now. We were 116 I yesterday.
4: I know. I do miss Las Vegas and going to fights, and hopefully in the coming you know weeks and months, uh, that oh, yeah. all changes. But you know, a lot I want to get into with you, Kevin. But before I do, I want to look back a little bit. And I, I want to talk about what happened in the Madrimov versus Eric Walker fight Uh, this past weekend. People have seen it by now. Israel Madrimov, rising 154-pound contender, fought a really good fight with Eric Walker through eight rounds, and in the ninth round, he hit Eric Walker with a lunging left hand that put Eric Walker down and almost knocked him out, or at least should have knocked him out. He Um, did knock him out. He did knock him out. The referee, Gary Ritter, however, he ruled that it was the shoulder of Madrimov that put Walker down, and even though Walker was on the canvas for more than 30 seconds, even though when he got up, he fell into the ropes, even though after falling into the ropes, he fell into his own corner like Apollo Creed in Rocky II. That fight was allowed to continue. Uh, I've got a strong feeling about this, Kevin, but I want to get yours first. What was your reaction to seeing that play out in real time and how the referee handled it all?
5: You know, mind-boggling, Chris. I mean, I, I I loved your column that you wrote in Sports Illustrated on that. I, I agreed completely. Um, here was the thing. Like, I'm not going to blame the referee. He was out of position. You know, if you notice, you know, he was on the other side of the ring, uh, out of position to see really what had occurred. Uh, had he been closer to them and on a better angle, you know, he would have seen it, and I think he would have ruled it a knockdown. But as he, what he ruled it, okay, you know, everybody makes a mistake. And so we'll say, you know, we accept his mistake of saying that, you know, it was a punch, but then he got, you know, the shoulder knocked him down. At that point, you don't allow the fighter to continue it. At, at that point, you say, okay, we're going to the scorecards right now. This was an accidental foul. We're going to the scorecards. That should uh, – how it should have been. You don't let a guy who has just been knocked out, concussed unquestionably, then turn around and fight again. And that that was, to me, that was malpractice, not only on the referee's part, but on the commission's part. Somebody on the commission had to say to him, wait a minute, this is not accurate, and this isn't the way we go. We can't let this guy fight again. And the fact that, you know, uh, all props to Eric Walker for doing what he did – But I I just think it was it was malpractice on the part of the Oklahoma Commission. And that's why I always cringe when when parties like Zone or whoever it is, ESPN, go into these venues where, you know, the commissions aren't as experienced because this is the kind of stuff that happens. You know, you you've covered boxing long enough to know there's always crazy stuff around the corner. And when you have these inexperienced commissions, this is what happens. And I, you know, I don't blame the referee for the first mistake in saying it was the shoulder because, you know, hey, they were tangled up. But I blame him for how he handled the aftermath. No question.
4: I mean, this goes back to the ongoing discussion about fighter safety, right? I mean, last year was a terrible year for boxing. You had Maxim Dadashev die in, you know, after fighting on an ESPN televised show. You had Patrick Day die after fighting on a DAZN televised show. The narrative after those tragedies, Kevin, which came months apart, the narrative was that fighter safety, there needs to be a priority in right. protecting these fighters. And now, here we are, like a year later, and you have this happen in Oklahoma where Eric Walker was done. And I don't want to hear the argument the fighter wanted to continue... Fighters always want to continue. Right, like, When have you seen a fighter say, eh, I- I'm good, I'm good, I think I'm done? It doesn't happen, at least not at a big time level. Whenever a, fighter, whenever a fight gets waved off, and we saw it with the Deontay Wilder fight, a you know, fighter's like, I'm fine, I'm good, I can keep going. A fighter always has that reaction. What a fighter says should be inconsequential. It's impossible for even the untrained eye to look at Eric Walker and the condition he was in and say, That's a fighter that should be allowed to continue. He was just in eight grueling rounds and put down on the canvas hard like that. A physician was in the ring. There were two people in the ring at that time uh, reviewing it and him being allowed to continue. Where I would push back on you, Kevin, is I would say it's an Oklahoma thing, but what the hell happened in Vegas two months earlier? What happened with Jesse Magdaleno against the Vicente? You saw that fight. Vicente knocked uh, Magdaleno down with an illegal punch after a low blow. He hit, hit Magdaleno below the belt. Magdaleno's hands went down, and then he was hit and knocked out. He was knocked out cold. He was face first onto the canvas, and I saw Robert Byrd consulting with Bob Bennett. The commissioner was right there, yep. and this fight was allowed To go on, I don't want to hear any more from anyone about fighter safety until this insane—I don't even want to call it a rule, like insane protocol—that's in place that allows fighters to continue after being knocked senseless is taken out of the game. It should be cut and dry, in my opinion. If you have a fighter, if you have a fighter get knocked out, if he is down the canvas long enough for a ten count. That fight should be stopped one way or the other. Go to the scorecards or disqualify the guy that hit him. No ifs, ands, or buts in my mind.
5: You know, Chris, I agree agree with you. I mean, one of the things in my career that I felt like I've always stood up for and I've argued for is fighter safety. In 2005, you know, in a a two-month span, I saw two fighters die in the ring. I was there ringside. One of the fighters actually fell on top of me. I've told that story before. Um, And I did a series of stories uh, about improvements that could be made and I made 12 recommendations and I think 10 of the 12 recommendations were implemented by Nevada so this is something that I take really seriously this is an experience issue here and I, and it's and it's also a judgment issue um and I think that uh in both cases, the fight should have been stopped. And I agree with you. I think there has to be language written into the rules now that specify, even in the case of a foul or, you know, this kind of thing, that you can't let the fighter go on. You know, we have to worry about these concussions and, uh, and what's happening to these fighters because, you know, the very nature of the sport is dangerous and when you then add in after a a fighter has a concussion we're going to let him fight and, and go on and fight again because he deserves the opportunity what the fighters deserve is the opportunity to live and walk out of the ring and fight and the commission you know basically has has two real jobs you know their job is to collect the money and disperse the money the way it's supposed to go and enforce the rules. And they have to be able to enforce those rules effectively. And it looked like Ritter in the Oklahoma Commission did not know what it was doing and did not know the option was there to say, hey, it's an act, because he did. I heard Gary Riddle say to Beto Duran, it's an accidental uh, foul. Okay, he made that determination fairly quickly. At that point, the rules are very obvious. You stop the fight, and you go to the scorecards, and that, and you score that round. So, you know, that round is scored. Um, as a result, I think, you know, we know what the fight should have been. The fact that they went on, was, as I said before, that was malpractice. Um, and, and the situation in Nevada I, is mind-boggling because unlike – in Oklahoma where you can say, Hey, these guys aren't as experienced and they don't have as many fights. So they don't see this kind of stuff in Nevada. You're talking about, you know, two really Robert bird is a hall of fame referee and, uh, and he's in the uh, world boxing hall of fame. And you, you're talking about Bob Bennett, who's been around, uh, he's been the executive director for eight years and one of the busiest States. Um, you know, so that was, um, you know, a, a A blow to me when I saw that. I would never have expected that in Nevada. Um, But I still think, you know, my point holds that you have to go to the, you know, um, when you go to these. State, you know, you can't have every fight in Nevada and California and New York, but I think you have to be really careful when you're going to the Oklahomas of the world or the Indianas of the world, because they have shown uh, on a regular basis, you know, that they don't regulate um, tightly enough. Uh, and I think that you have to be careful by putting shows in those uh, venues.
4: Yeah, you do. There's no question, especially when, I mean, if you do show at those venues, you have to encourage, you know. The commissions to look outside their own states, and look, Lawrence Cole was you know officiating Bird, uh, the Texas. main event, yeah, from Texas. So you know they did go outside. I mean, I think you've got to be more uh, do more diligent with that. I mean, the Nevada one though is just beyond explanation. You pointed out Robert hmm. Bird, Hall of Fame referee Bob Bennett, his experience. I-, I have seen now, and off the top of my head, I can think of three fighters that went down the way Jesse Magdaleno did. I remember Calvin Brock did it against Vladimir Klitschko uh, years ago uh, in a fight. Uh, I remember Paul Williams went down that way when Sergio Martinez knocked him cold uh, in their their fight. And, And then I see Jesse Magdaleno face first. Now, in both circumstances, you wouldn't allow Calvin Brock to continue. You wouldn't allow Paul Williams to continue. Why in the world are you allowing a guy face first on the canvas for more than 30 seconds to continue? Like, it just... It, like I, I just Kevin, I don't want to hear about about these these concerns for fighter safety. We're going to do more for fighter safety. You're not. If you're allowing something All right. like that to happen, you don't care. You you don't care, or at the very least, you don't care enough to uh, to stop a a major fight when it should be stopped.
5: Yeah, you know, I I would take. Uh, um a bit of argument with your contention that they don't care. I, I you know I know the guys in Nevada. They care, right? They want to do it right. They they messed up. I mean, that's plain and simple. They messed up. And and I think sometimes, you know, they, they want to be so fair that they over you know, in their effort to be fair, they also make you know, so hey, it's not Jesse Magdaleno's fault. Let's let him continue, you know, and you bend over so far that way that you forget about the fighter health and safety, which is object number one. And so I, I'm with you, Chris. I mean I, I think that, you know, we really have I preach about it a lot, and I, and I write about it a lot, and I get a lot of comments from people. I don't care. Let's forget about this. You know, they know what they're getting into, and that's such BS. They're in a professional sport, and they're not there to lose their lives or risk their lives, and there and there are fighters that sometimes say that, but they don't really mean it, right? They don't mean that. They don't want to die. You know, they don't say that, and, and we as, you know, uh, as media, we have an obligation to hold them to a standard, and so I, I've always tried to do that and, and felt that way. Uh, that's why I, tweeted, I retweeted your column and i thought it i thought it was a great column because you hit the nail on the head and uh and they needed to be called out on that and people needed to hear that and i think that um you know even the best states make mistakes, you know, California, I think has a great commission, they, you know, they let Chuck Liddell fight last year, and it turned out to be a mistake. I mean, even this Tyson, you know, Roy Jones fight people wonder about, but I mean, I I think that, you know, the states that have consistently had these problems are, are, you know, Oklahoma is one of them. And I think these are issues that, you know, that really need to be taken seriously. And while I'm against, you know, when I was young and idealistic, I used to think we need a national commission, right. But I realized the federal government, they can't even run the government, let alone Run boxing, and so you know, we don't want to have the government in, but there has to be some kind of mechanism set up that's stronger than the ABC that can enforce these things and have a national standard that that, uh, ensures that uh, there's competent people doing their jobs,
4: yeah. And you're right, the Nevada Commission cares, and and these commissions do care about fighter safety. It's just you know, if you allow something like that to happen, you don't care enough, and you're not doing enough to protect these fighters when they get knocked senseless by illegal shots and allowing them to continue. That has to be a hard and fast rule that if a guy's down on the canvas for more than a 10 count, which would be a knockout anyway, that fight should be stopped. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If another guy gets knocked out by a punch like that and a fight stopped, this one should be too, regardless yeah. of the circumstances uh, around it. All right. I agree. Let's talk about real boxing here for a second. I guess it's not real boxing because we're talking about mythical fights again, uh, because that's what we do here in 2021 or 2020 when it comes to big-time fighters. Canelo Alvarez uh, is still without an opponent uh, for 2020, has not fought at all uh, this year. The latest development in kind of as Canelo... You want a current development. Well, I guess we can call it a, a quasi-development. The latest development in kind of as Canelo turns is the WBC uh, announcing that Canelo is approved or has, has requested to fight their number one contender for the 168-pound title, who is Avni Yildirim, who is was last seen in the ring in February of 2019, losing to Anthony Durrell uh, by technical decision. Uh Uh, Again, I've got some strong feelings about this, Kevin. Uh, Let me get your reaction first to uh, the idea of uh, Yildirim, and do you look at him as being an acceptable opponent for Canelo Alvarez?
5: In no way, shape, or form is he an acceptable opponent. Um, And I I don't, for the life of me, I mean, there was talk at one period of time of Durrell getting the fight, and I I don't know that Durrell would be an appropriate opponent at this stage of his career, but I I think, you know, you know far better choice than uh um uh what they what they made and you know i mean there's the wbc uh has to understand there's a business component to this and uh forgetting everything else i mean who wants to see that guy fight right that's that's just a slaughter and that's a that's a fight like we saw with canelo uh when he fought in new york uh, who was the guy's name that he beat um um for the 68 title in the first Rocky
4: fielding, Rocky, Rocky fielding. Fielding.
5: I'm drawing a blank on his name. Yeah. I mean, that that's another, it's another fight like that. And and there's so many things that I think about, like what is the zone getting for its money? What did they do when they contracted with Canelo Alvarez? I'm not saying that he should fight a Golovkin level opponent every time in this deal, but you're look at the fights you're getting out of him all of a sudden. Right. I mean, you know, and I, and I know it's not Alvarez Alvarez is willing to fight and he'll, he's willing to fight good people my God, what the zone is getting out of this, getting these kind of, why do
4: you think Kevin, Kevin, why do you think he requested it? I mean, if Mauricio Suleiman is telling the truth, like Eddie Reynoso requested to be made the top challenger for the 168 pound title.
5: Yeah. I'm baffled. I, I, I don't know if Mauricio is telling the truth. Eddie Reynoso is a smart boxing guy. Um, we'll talk about him probably a little bit later in this podcast vis-a-vis Ryan Garcia. Um, and, and he knows what would happen in that fight. And he knows, you know, I mean, I mean he has like the secretariat in boxing here. You know, he, he's he got the horse. He doesn't have to worry about who he's fighting. Uh, all these opponents at all these weight classes he could potentially fight, he, he's going to be favored and a big favorite in almost every one of them. Where they're coming with this guy is beyond me. I mean, I just do not understand this. And, you know, I don't want to call Mauricio a liar, um, you know, but there have been – you know, things have happened before. It's just, it's mind-boggling. And I, I don't think that fight is going to happen. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, would that be any better than an, a fight with Oscar? <laughs> you know, like, let's... Uh... At, least,
4: at least at least that's sellable. <laughs> at least you could sell Oscar versus Canelo. I'd take that uh, any day of the week. I mean, I guess, like, putting aside the absurdity that Yildirim is the number one contender and the absurdity of some of the comments Mauricio has made about he deserves this spot. He's been waiting for this spot. He lost! He lost in February of 2019. Yes, it was stopped because of a headbutt, but it wasn't like he was coming on, and this was this, you know, they prevented a knockout, and Darrell won on two judges' scorecards. One other judge had some wide number for Yildirim. I didn't really understand that, watching that fight back, but he lost, and then subsequently he hasn't fought anybody he has not fought since February of 2019. How does that warrant being kept in a number one position? I, I don't like that. That's an entirely separate conversation. This is not an acceptable opponent. Canelo versus Yildirim would be a hundred to one in favor of Canelo. Like it would be a massive, massive odds in favor of Canelo. That's not the type of fight that Canelo should be taking, and that's not the type of fight that DAZN should be paying for. It's as simple as that. Like, I agree agree with you. You don't, Kevin, you don't take on Golovkin now because you want the $20 million gate. I mean, that's what, you know, if Golovkin goes out, and I, I actually think in a weird way, if Golovkin goes out and flattens Zaremeta in that fight, that'll probably take place at some point this year, and Canelo flattens somebody else, there's more momentum for that fight than there would be if that fight was made uh, right. right now. But you, you can't build momentum against a guy that nobody's heard of that has lost to a fighter that wasn't approvable before this. So, like, I, th- this is all nonsensical to me. They've got to just put this back in the Cracker Jacks box that they opened it up of and go back and make a Callum Smith deal. Find a way. I- to- to get Callum Smith in the ring. Well,
5: here's what, here's what, here's what we have to do. I think when the, you take the bigger picture, I think the promoters bear uh, a problem here because why does the WBA, the WBC, the IBF, and the WBO, why do they have influence? Because the promoters know that TV people like, championship fights and so even if you know somebody's not a champion and we recognize somebody else as the champion in a weight class if they have one of those titles at stake they can say they have a title fight I think what the promoters need to do is maybe get together and recognize you know the four major bodies that and now consider the undisputed championship you know those four that I mentioned and have them come up with it you know um, uh, have promoters come up with a championship that would work, you know, take their ratings, make their own rankings, and then do that. And so that we're not having Mauricio Suleiman or Gilberto Mendoza or Paco Valcarcel deciding, you know, who's fighting who. And you see what ends up happening. You know, look at this nonsense that's happening this week with Dillian White. You know, I mean, I I like the fight, right? I don't have a problem with the fight, but did not Tyson Fury win the WBC championship in the ring? And now Delia White is fighting uh WBC interim title fight. I mean, what the hell is going on? And that's when you let these sanctioning bodies, you know, Fresno Kendo is still out there from 2014 saying he's deserving of a title fight. I mean, what the hell is this stuff? So I, I think the promoters have to really say, look, we're not going to worry. We'll look at the, you know, who their champions are. We'll look at where the ratings are. And then we're going to try to make – our own you know championships and have and have that and maybe the top promoters or you know all the promoters have a promoters association get together and say that but you've got to minimize the influence these sanctioning bodies have they, I mean they just you know and they have less influence in the bigger boxing states but they have a lot of influence in a lot of places in Mexico they're deciding rules they're deciding matchups they're doing you know they're deciding officials and that that is very very problematic And so I I think we got to lessen the influence that the sanctioning bodies have. I don't mind guys fighting for titles because they get extra money, but the title, it can't be a sanctioning body title.
4: Fresno is going to be, you know, fighting for a heavyweight title at 60. I'm I'm convinced of it. At some point, he's going to... He may want to fight me. I don't know. So that's the kind of opponent he's looking for. Look, I agree with everything you said there. It's... It's bonkers how much influence these sanctioning bodies have. I mean, I've been railing for a while against promoters uh, putting their fighters in the WBA pipe, pipeline, right? Like, you know, we we talked on the broadcast, or like Todd and Sergio, uh, my colleagues at the Zone, talked on the broadcast about Madrimov being in line for a world title shot. I mean, at best, he's going to get a shot at like the regular championship in the WBA, which is effectively. It stops you in your tracks because if you win that title, you don't have to fight whoever the super champion in, which is usually a more significant fighter. And because you are a world champion, you are taken out of the rankings for other sanctioning bodies. So I don't understand why anybody gets involved with the WBA. It's just It's it's, late, Kevin. WBA is the worst. And they're worse, but I, I think, too, and you you mentioned promoters, it's kind of laziness on promoters' part. They know they can get one of those fake championships right. you know, from the WBA, so you can go to a network and say, we've got a world title fight for you. Well, no, you don't. No, you don't, and it's incumbent, and look, I try to do this on broadcast to point out this crap to say this is not a world title fight, and for reporters like you and I to say this is not an actual world title fight. Like We don't only really have so much influence, but shaming these sanctioning bodies has right. to be part of it. It just has to
5: you know when I got into the business it was the same way right it was exactly the same way Ron Borges our, our buddy who used to write for the Boston Globe used to call them the crime families right which was I think you know very appropriate um, the way, um, you know, way he described them and I, I just think that they've never gotten better but it's the promoter's fault because hey, look at the UFC they, they said screw it. we could go out there and there was a, a bid you know uh, I since I've been at Yahoo there was a group that tried to create a championship and, and have that be recognized and, and, and they They did for a while and they awarded a few belts. UFC said, screw, we got our own thing going on. And people look at the UFC and say, you know, they don't have every single one of, let's say the top 100, they don't have 100 of the top 100 fighters in the world, but they have most of the top 100 fighters in the world. And so their championships are viewed as legitimate by the fan base. And that's what the boxing promoters have to do. They just have to get together, set up some kind of ranking mechanism and then go from there. You know, maybe you look at the champions that are already out there and, you know, uh, and the four sanctioning bodies and, you know, you start tournaments that way to to get your champion. But uh, I I think you just have to loosen the power, And remember, it's a worldwide sport, so this would only apply in the U.S., right? Because, you know, promoters all over the world, but I think – I think we have to start and there has to be some take that we, we lessen their influence so that they can't just, um, you know, go out there and run roughshod over the sport. And, and a cat, if you want to get into it and follow it, it's almost impossible. Who is the champion and wh- how is this happening? And I was talking to Mauricio uh, last week and, and what fight was it? And he was explaining the interim you know, lineage and all these different things of, of a weight class. I'm trying to think which one it was. And I, my head was spinning. I lost it. I'm like, so I, I gave up. And just imagine that you and I follow this all the time, and we know these people—the people who just say, "I want to see a good fight f- for the title." They have no I, I, idea what's going on.
4: No, they don't. And and being inside this NBA bubble, I can tell you, like NBA people are boxing fans too, but. You know, trying to explain to them who the champion is of what right. it, it, you, you might as well be explaining trigonometry to them. Right. Like it's just it's it's a lot easier than this. But I'd like to think promoters would hear this this conversation and and do something, but I, I just think a lot of them are too no, lazy they won't. to know that just they won't and we'll follow that at all. All right, let's move on for a second now. Uh, you know, to a fight that was announced uh, this past week and a fight that I'm frankly really excited about. Uh, you've got Ryan Garcia, one of the best young fighters in boxing, the most popular young fighter in boxing, surely, taking what I think is a big step up when he faces Luke Campbell, uh, a two time former world title challenger, only been beaten three times, and when he does get beat. He only gets beat by the best. He doesn't really get beaten terribly. I mean, Lomachenko, he fought pretty well uh, just this past year. He had a tough fight against Jorge Linares, Yvonne Mendy uh, as well. Uh, This is, is, as I said, Kevin, a significant step up for Ryan Garcia. What do you think of this fight for him and how do you think it plays out?
5: You know, I like the fight and I'm glad that they got it done because I think this is going to show us a lot about Ryan Garcia. I happen to think he's a pretty special fighter. And uh, I thought that for a long time, but before we got with uh, Eddie Reynoso, I thought he's not going to amount to much because you know, his training wasn't the right way. He got to Eddie Reynoso and now he's disciplined. You know, he's fixed a lot of his fundamental mistakes uh, and he's taken advantage of, of his strengths. And I, I, I love, you know, his, his the fight with Dumo. I, I love the way he performed in that. I think you see growth from him every time out. Um, you know, Campbell is a tough guy, tall, left-handed, you know, long arms. You know, that's not going to be an easy guy uh, for Ryan to deal with. But I think, you know, Ryan has such great natural tools. And if Eddie says he's ready to fight and to go to this level, um, I don't think there's a smarter person in boxing. There may be a few as smart as Eddie Renoso but no one's smarter. And and he really projects very well when he looks at guys. And so he says Ryan Garcia is ready. I believe him. And you see these videos that Ryan puts up on uh, Instagram. And while, you know, nobody – it's always easy to look that way when nobody's punching back. I mean, his hand speed is incredible. And I think, you know, he, he's going to have a good game plan to combat the length that you're going to see out of Luke Campbell. I think Campbell's not as quick. Uh, he, he was never this, this kind of quick, but he's not as quick as he was in in what would be maybe his prime. So I think this is a good spot for, uh, for Ryan. I think he's going to get himself in there. There's so many good uh, lightweights out there, you know, Teofimo, and uh, Loma, and Devin Haney, and, you know, uh, there's so many of them that I think this will position him well. And and I love his attitude. We should talk about that. You know, he he, he said before, you know, Gervonta Davis is in that mix. He said, I want to fight these. I don't care if I lose, because when you fight the best occasionally lose, I want to prove myself over the long haul against the best in the world. And how refreshing is that, that a, a, a fighter in his prime who could be protected, and Golden Boy would probably go out of its way to protect, doesn't want to be protected he wants to fight those guys so god bless him and i I hope uh you know i hope for the best for him that he gets these kind of fights going forward
4: yeah and it often pays off when you have that attitude you see it way more often in the ufc where you know fighters willing to accept challenges, they benefit from it. I mean, I I only followed it you know curse or casually, Kevin. But when when Madvisal, you know fought, took that fight on one week's notice, like it was it was cool. And even though he lost, it's like all right, I still want to see him fight in his next one. I don't think he lost anything you know off his popularity a, as a result of that. And Ryan Garcia, with the backing that he has from his social media following as long as he doesn't get you know, embarrassed by a Luke Campbell, I don't think he will, but whether it's Luke Campbell or somebody else, you know, somebody bigger, his career is going to continue to grow. Now, here's what I would ask you from a technical perspective. I agree with you that Eddie Reynoso has added something significant to Ryan Garcia's game. Outside of power, though, I just don't know what it is because his, his fights have ended his last two inside one round. So with Ryan Garcia if we assume that he's not going to be able to stop Luke Campbell in the same way he stopped Duno and Fonseca, which I think is a fair assumption, we're going to learn, you know, something about Ryan Garcia's boxing skills because he, it seems like he's improved, but we haven't seen him had to go six, seven, eight rounds against a high level opponent who can throw some different things at you. So this, you know, I, I think we're just, we're, we're, it, it's okay to make those assumptions because Eddie's a terrific trainer, yeah. Ryan's a terrific young fighter, but I think we'll we're finally maybe going to get to see some of the boxing skills that Ryan Garcia has in this fight
5: yeah i mean the trainer can make suggestions in the corner the trainer can talk but you know when they're in the fight the fighter has to pull it out and the fighter has to be the one making adjustments in there himself right and that's you know that's what we're going to have to find out you know i I think eddie's really improved if you if you look at um ryan garcia before and after eddie his footwork is totally different right he's in much better balance now he's in better position to punch uh and and he's you know he hadn't we know he has quick hands but he also has quick feet and i think we're seeing that more and more with him so I think that's helping him as he goes forward against uh, somebody like uh, um, Luke Campbell and I think those are the kind of things that uh, are going to make a big difference in in his career um, as he's out there so you know you're right though I mean hey he you know Eddie Eddie has put him in position to win it's like any coach an NBA coach getting his team and putting you know Playing the right defense or in, and getting the shot for the right guy, but you still got to make the three pointer at the buzzer to win the game, and that's what Ryan has to do. I, I you know, now I have my doubts against Devin Haney, although I'd love to see the fight against Teofimo. Those people, I have my doubts against, but against Luke Campbell, I think he's he's got the skill to win that.
4: Yeah, and look, you, you know, I think it's it's okay to bring Ryan along you know, slower over the next six to 12 months. I mean, you don't have to put him in with Devin Haney right away, even though, I mean, you know, our conversation about the belts. Who was Haney stu- fought? I mean, yeah, exactly. But but like, how stupid is this, this interim title, you know, for Garcia versus uh, Luke Campbell? I mean, like, the winner is in line to fight Devin Haney. Like, Devin Haney wouldn't fight Ryan Garcia right now for no belts. I mean, Ryan's popularity is what makes him... Uh, more attractive but I think it's set up decently for Garcia because if he fights Luke Campbell and if he wins and I think he wins because I don't think Luke has faced an opponent with the kind of quick twitch power that Ryan no. has uh, and I think he's gonna catch him at some point but if he wins that fight assuming Linares gets back and wins his next fight you can make Linares versus Garcia right. in early 2021 and if you get the experience of a Campbell and a Linares fight then you're ready for everything else I think those oh, would be kind of his final point. exams
5: yeah, no, I think that's, you make a great point. And I think this kid, um, you know, is ready for those, both of those fights. I, I would have loved to have seen the Leonards fight, which they were trying to have in July the pandemic kind of screwed that over. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen that fight. Um, but I think Luke Campbell's a good, uh, another good fight. Cause you're going to see two different styles, right. And you're going to have to see him, you know, not only adjust in fight, but then, you know, a style wise opponent to opponent, um, you know, boxing that doesn't happen. I mean, but the, again, we go to the WBC and you look at it, Ryan's in an eliminator. Devin Haney's never won a WBC championship and he's going in and, you know, he's, he is the champion. And then you got Lomachenko who did win a WBC championship and he's this stupid franchise champion. And uh, I mean, for, you know, forget about all that nonsense. You know, I just, it just, again, I, to me, I look at it and I say Lomachenko is the champion. And if Teofimo Lopez beats him, he is the champion. And then these other guys are fighting, for ranking, you know, but they are good fights and, you know, uh, there's good games in the NBA that aren't, aren't NBA championship, NBA finals games that we want to watch. And so we want to watch these fights. We just don't have to call them title fights. Yeah.
4: And let's not forget some of the best fights of this uh, century were between Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward for zero title, at least 90 zero. that was just three, right. got two guys going at it, you know, for, for three. And that's what people um, want. That's what people want. All right, let me finish with this, Kevin. We've got a good fight this weekend um, between Dillian White and Alexander Povek, and they'll fight for, as we said, I guess, White's interim heavyweight title. But this is a fight between two high-level heavyweights, and I first want to congratulate them for doing it. I mean, Dillian White's a pretty popular guy in the UK. Yeah. He's giving up a live gate in this that would probably make him a pretty substantial amount of money because he wants to keep his career moving forward, and he yeah. wants to face another tough opponent. I, I have a lot of respect for for Dillian White. What the WBC has done to him has been reprehensible. I mean, he's going on, what, like two years of being a mandatory challenger for that title and not getting the opportunity. In the meantime, he has not been like what Yildirim was and just sit on the sidelines. He has won 11 fights in a row since losing to Anthony Joshua. And these are not nobody's that he's Look at. Beating. his.
5: Yeah. I was going to say, look at his record. I mean, he's gone out there and he's fought guys, you know, Chisora, uh, a, a lot of good opponents. I, I like Dillian white a lot, you know, and, um, I look at him and I say, does he, does he match up with Tyson Fury? Probably badly. Right. And does he match up with Anthony Joshua? You know, we know we've seen that fight. Um, but, you know, I, I think he could beat A.J., right? You know, because I think Dillian White has that ticker, right? And I think Dillian White – and not that A.J. doesn't, but I think Dillian White's a dog, you know, and he gets in those fights and he's going to try to find a way to win. And the one thing about A.J. is, you know, I, I don't know. Even even though the Klitschko fight, that you know, he, he showed that, uh, I'm not sure, you know, that we've seen – you know, we, we've see that dog out of him enough uh, for me to say he would have it. You know, Deontay Wilder, I don't know what to expect from Deontay Wilder coming back. Um, so I think White is right there you know um and he's he's a veteran guy but i say all along you know uh, that there's good heavyweights coming up you know a lot of people rip the division still but i think you know when you look and there and there's guys that are not finished products but you know top rank just signed faa jog bot. i mean i think he's really good i they also have tony yoka who to me i saw at the olympics i know you were there that i really love tony yoka i thought boy tony yoka this guy has and, and you know he's had some issues in the pros but i think he still has potential to be uh, pretty good i i kind of discount joe joy's because I think he's too slow, and I don't know that he's in there. But, you know, Daniel Dubois, there's a lot of good heavyweights out there. And Dillian White is saying, you know what, I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to fight these guys. I'm going to fight the best. You know what, I like that. And, and fighting Pavetkin, he slowed down a little bit. But Povetkin is a really accomplished boxer. He's got a strong jab. He knows how to move. I love, I love uh, Dillian White for taking that fight. Um, more props to him.
4: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I think Dillian White has a strong case to being called the third best heavyweight in the world. Uh, yeah, you know, Wilder, you know, shouldn't be completely dismissed from the conversation just because he lost once. But Dillian White, you know, lost to Joshua, and then as the best resume, you know, maybe outside of Anthony Joshua. I mean, he's he's got a a lot of good names on. And what I like about watching him fight is that he's not, you know, he, there's not that instant that he knocks somebody out the way Deontay Wilder has. But that left hook comes from everywhere. I mean, the way he put Derek Chisora down in his fight. I mean, that was a close fight up until that point, and he just dropped him. That's what you have. That's what the excitement that Dillian White brings to the table. And I like this fight because I, I favor White, but Pavekin, to your point, excellent boxer, real power. Like he has yeah. got real power in both hands. So this is this is a fight that 100%. I think will end with somebody being knocked out. And I think Pavekin still is at a pretty high level even though you had the draw with michael hunter you know hunter's tough to fight like he's tricky he moves he's a lot a smaller
5: guy I, I like white in the fight because i think white is more in his prime he's got more quickness i think he hits harder than michael hunter does but i think pivetkin's a, a um a, a, a credible opponent
4: yeah I'm, I'm with you You can check that fight out of course saturday uh, on the zone uh kevin always good to talk to you man always a fun conversation uh, i'm hoping that uh our, our words will get to the eardrums of the Bob Arams and the PBC people and Eddie Hearn and say, stop fighting for these crappy titles. We will do our best. Coming up next, three division world champion, Claressa Shields.
2: One WN.
4: I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times.
2: With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Joining me now on the show, she is a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a three-division world champion, uh, the best women's boxer, in the world today and perhaps the greatest women's boxer of all time. She is Clarissa Shields. Clarissa, what's going on?
6: I'm just training and waiting on my next fight date for real. That's all.
4: How has this pandemic uh, treated you? How have you been affected by all of it?
6: Hmm. A little different. Honestly, like I got as big as 190 pounds. Um, I'm now down to 170. Uh, thank God for that. Um... I've been able to spend a lot of time with my family. I've never had a vacation ever in my life, but this has been (laughs) somewhat of a vacation.
4: (laughs) So getting up that high in weight, I mean, how did you you feel about that?
6: Oh, I I didn't like it. Like, my body kind of looked the same, but I just felt, uh, you know, slower. Um, It kind of made me feel sick almost. It was like, I don't like being that big. And, um, but you know, when you're resting, you're resting. And I didn't even know I was that big because my body hadn't really much changed. And then I started seeing like some fat on my stomach. I'm like, oh, okay, all my packs are gone. And, you know, I started looking all a little, just a little, uh, just a little bigger. And then I finally just got on the scale and it said 190. And I was like, oh my God. So when I seen the scale said 190, I was like, yeah, time to get back to work. So I started back training. And, um, I trained people online. I was doing like one-on-one sessions of people in boxing and fitness, and that kind of helped me get back on track to eating healthy and the gallon of water a day and back to the running and and the boxing. And I've been able to get off 20 pounds in the last three weeks, so I'm all good so far.
4: Good, good. I, I want to ask you about your career, but you know the news of this past week is was Cecilia Breakus. Uh, the undisputed welterweight champion, someone that you've talked about fighting uh, in the past, the recent past, uh, she loses. You know, goes down to Jessica McCaskill uh, and loses her titles in that fight. What, what was your reaction to what you saw with Braykoos and McCaskill?
6: Um, you know, one I want to say, <clears throat> uh, you know, congrats to both women for putting on such a great fight, uh, making a fight happen. Um, that I think it was kind of, Premature for Jessica McCaskill to be in the ring with Cecilia Brockis, Yes. But do I think that she did everything she was supposed to do to get the win? For sure. Um, I think that she caught Cecilia at a time where Cecilia didn't really look hungry in the fight to me. Didn't look like she wanted to win or like she really had any desire to really win. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just looked like she's going downhill. And, you know, I, I feel like she retired after the fight. I'm not really sure, but it's that's what it felt like. It felt like a goodbye speech. So um, if she is retired, you know, I wish her a happy retirement. And congrats to Jessica McCaskill. And me being who I am, I have to say, I was not impressed by either during the fight. Um, Jessica McCaskill can definitely get better. It's a skill-wise. She's strong as an ox. You know, but as far as in her skills, she can definitely keep adding to that. Um, I've never really been impressed by any of Cecilia Brockett's fights, but um, she definitely got outworked, got outpunched, and kind of, you know, got all her belts uh, taken. But that's not to be, you know, disrespectful. But it just, but it just levels to it, you know. And when you talk about, you know, she got so much props for being the first lady of boxing, being the first woman to be undisputed, and it's like her skills to me were never up to part. You know, I felt like she fought fought the girl she beats, but she didn't fight against Layla McCarter, and um, she didn't fight against a lot of other girls, like Hannah Gabriels, and they one way class apart. You know, so now hopefully we're going into an era now that where, you know, not just myself, but other women world champions as myself, um, Katie Taylor, Jessica McCaskill, Um, Terry Harper, all these other world champions, that they are fight the best fighters to make the best women's fights to where we can have those George Foreman versus Muhammad Ali kind of fights.
4: Were you, I mean, when you watched Cecilia fight, you mentioned you've seen some of her previous fights. Did she look different in that fight than she has in some of the shows you've seen before?
6: She looked heavier to me, but maybe that's like the... The weight difference between her and Jessica McCaskill, because Jessica was really a one forty pounder, and coming up to one forty seven. And um, even though Jessica looked bigger at the weigh-in, and she looked bigger through, excuse me, through some of their face, through some of the face-offs, I think that um, Cecilia was definitely she she fight one forty-seven, so she's bigger than one forty-seven. I don't know why people were giving me, you know, crap saying that, oh, she's a small 147 and she's not going to come to 154 and fight you. She's too small. When it's like, no. All of us. I'm sorry. I beefed out. All of us fighters. All of us fighters walk around heavier than what we fight. You know, so. Her giving me the excuse that she was too small to fight me if I come down to 154 and want me to go to 145 and all this crazy mess. Like, no, she looked bigger to me in the fight with Jessica McCaskill, and she looked just not hungry. Like, I didn't feel the energy coming off her body as far as, in, like, I'm the champion and I'm fighting to um, keep my belts. It was more of like, I don't know, I really didn't see that see that grit coming from her. Do you think she should retire? Um, who am I to say? You know, I'm not in her body. I I don't know how her legs feel. Um, the way that she was talking, I kind of feel like she was kind of happy to kind of pass the torch to Jessica McCaskill. And um, when you're happy like that, I won't say she's happy, but she was kind of had like a proud feeling to it. It's more like you know when you want your belts back and you want to, you know, continue being a, being a champ, you can kind of, yeah, you'll be upset, but, you know, it's kind of like a, it was more of a proud moment for her. It was like her going out party. So I don't think um, that she wants to fight anymore, but can she? That's that's only for her to know, you know, but it sounds like she was kind of relieved to just be, you know, just just, just, just be walking away from it.
4: You know, you moved down to 154 pounds in your last fight, won a couple of titles there. As you mentioned, there was some talk about, you know, perhaps Cecilia at some point moving up to face you at 154. I mean, how do you feel about continuing to fight at 154 uh, at this point?
6: Um, honestly, I don't think I'm gonna get paid enough to fight at 154 for all the, you know, stress that it puts on my body to be that small. And I'm a bigger girl, you know, and um, yeah, it's, competition down there but I've kind of cleaned out the division at 160 but there are some upcoming girls um I possibly go back to 168 and um you know fighting at 54 I can do it because I've learned how to do it and I master just the diet and everything of it but it is hard you know it's not um it's not easy for me like I'm I'm in camp and I can't eat no fried foods and I can't barely eat any sugar no salt you know gallon of water a day. And yeah, you know I'm doing it for the biggest purpose of w- a, w- a women's boxing having the best fights, but at the same time it's like I'm not getting paid a million dollars for a fight like that. You know, like my biggest purse has been 350k and as I continue to push to want more, it's like they want me to try to go to 147 and I can make 147, but it's like what are you going to pay me to do that? You know, it's like, yeah, I want to make the best fights, but we're talking about me putting my health at risk and then also going in there and beating these girls, you know, and putting myself at a disadvantage. So it's like, you know, I would like to be paid for that if I'm going to do it. Even though I'm young, it's still hard to get down that small. You know, 54 is a push, but 47, you know, maybe have to cut off maybe one of my thighs or something like that. (laughs)
4: <laughs> so with that being said is there a challenge out there that excites you whether it's fighting at a different weight class or an opponent that's coming along i mean we've talked about leila ali for a while now but that seems more unlikely than ever to to materialize if that's not an option what's the challenge out there that really gets you going
6: um really any girl that says that she can beat me is a is a challenge for me you know i think that um the rematch between me and Franchon Cruz um, is very worn. So I think that's a fight that really excites me. I um, will love to do a rematch against uh, Hannah Gabriels. She do a lot of talking and talk about how she knocked me down, but she leaves out the part that she lost unanimously. I will love to fight uh, Marie Eve DeCare. That's supposed to be my next fight, about 154, um, for, for her titles. And um, you know, if the money is right and everything, I will go to 147 and fight against uh, Jessica McCaskill. Or um, I just don't see Katie Taylor coming to 147. But if she was going to come to 147 for Cecilia, don't make a you know don't make an exception for me. You're gonna come to 147 for Cecilia. Come to 147 for me. <laughs> and um, I think that that would be the biggest women's fight ever. Not just because of our background, but because of how skillful that we both are. And, you know, like I said, I'm putting myself at a disadvantage coming down that small, and she's putting herself – I don't know. I feel like it's kind of an advantage going up in weight, but some people' bodies are different, you know. But I feel like she wouldn't have to struggle to make weight. She can probably add on some muscle and some power here and there. And uh, I think me and her would be, like, the best fight in women's boxing to be made. And I'm not going to mention – uh, Layla Ali because we got Roy Jones and Mike Tyson who have come out of retirement uh, formally and they've signed contracts to fight and they've made a fight happen within two months of talking about it happening and not a whole lot of trash talk. And uh, Layla is younger than both of them and does all this, in, 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 but still hasn't formally come out of retirement. Um, Still hasn't put a date on it. All she does is talk about what she can and what she will do. And, um, not doing it. So I don't even waste my time talking to, uh, you know, mouth champions. You know, I'm a, I'm a real champion. I'm loaded with belts. I'm 25 years old and I'll take on really any challenge to help a woman's boxing and just fight the best. And I feel like I am the best, a woman's fighter ever. So, um, I'm not going to keep going on on about a fighter who's retired and who just talks. You know, I heard she's supposed to be in LA training with Buddy McGirt. That's cute. But, you know, make a formally, I'm out of retirement and put a date on it. And uh, we can make the biggest fight in women's boxing happen. But besides her, it'll be me and and, uh, Katie, me and Franchon Cruz. And um, there's another champ at 168 who's a very strong fighter, uh, Ellen Ceteros? she's good. you know. She, I think she, I, I would more say she's powerful. She's green, but she's powerful. And um, as she gets better and better, I'll let her see her You know, make some noise in the super middleweight division.
4: There's always chatter about you crossing over and jumping in the octodon, octagon, whether it's Amanda Nunez or somebody else. I mean, how seriously should we take that? I mean, how serious are you about you know, switching into the MMA?
6: I'm very serious. Um, I feel like I know for a fact that I have two more fights in boxing. Um, as of right now, I have my next fight against Marie-Eve Decare and then whatever we'll fight after that. And then I'm going to um, transition over to MMA at 155 pounds and uh, just do my thing there. It's it just, it's just sad that in boxing, you know, I've, I've dedicated my whole life to boxing and to the USA and I've, Got two Olympic gold medals like no other boxer has in USA history. And I'm undisputed champ and three-time division world champ faster than any other boxer in history, male or female. And just the disrespect that, you know, still comes to it. It's just, it's just not a fair sport to me. And I don't like to be the person to keep saying, oh, this is not fair. And, you know, and to have to beg for this and that. But it's like just some of the disrespect is just, to me, it just gets out of hand. You know, and you get disrespected by, you know, by these promoters and by these networks who feel like these other guys are worth more to you and they're not even more known than you, you know, don't even have more followers than you on Instagram, stuff like that. And they're getting put on pay-per-view, you know, and I have to constantly say why I'm not on pay-per-view. How come I'm not a pay-per-view fighter? Why aren't you guys – putting into me as you're putting into these other fighters. And they keep having to say that just puts me in a mindset of like, why am I not good enough, but I have more accomplishments. But then you look at MMA and every MMA pay-per-view card, there's a woman on the card. And not just co-main event. Main event. Like Dana White is doing it the right way. You know, and um, he's giving the same opportunities that he give to um, to men, to women. And in boxing, they give you all these excuses on why they're not doing something. And it gets kind of irritating because I spend year-round training and getting ready for the best fighters, and I was 8-0, fought against Christina Hammer. That was 24-0, 11 knockouts. You know, what What man is doing that, you know, or, or, or even capable to get in the ring with somebody who has that many fights with that kind of pedigree and actually beat them. You know, and it's not, and it's not many. Like I can say Shakur Stevenson, but other than that, I don't know any other male fighter that can go against, that can go in there against a world champion who's been reigning for nine, 10 years and beat them. And I'm doing all that. I'm going up and down in weight and I'm taking the biggest challenges and I'm, and I'm still being disrespected. And it's like, at the end of the day, as much as I love boxing, I still got bills and I still got a family and I still I'm not gonna, you know, have my integrity. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna just oh you're giving me a bone and I'm gonna take it like I'm the kind of dog that just happy you're giving me a bone. It's like, no, respect me as I respect you. Like any network that I fought on, I've been respectful. I make it easy to work with me. I do all kinda of interviews. I, you know, change up my training schedule, whatever that they need to get whatever footage I allow them to come in the camp to still have to sit and wait for a freaking fight date. And I was scheduled to fight May 9th, you know? So it's just too much disrespect and me being a person that I am, like I try not to burn any bridges or bash people, but it's like the whole thing is just fucked up. That's what it is. It's just messed up. And they give all this respect to these male fighters. And I have a clean image. I've never been in jail. I don't have domestic violence, um, uh, domestic relationships, you know, I don't get shot at or shoot at people. I've never stabbed or nothing. And they and they and they still give me crap about my image. And it's like, what kind of image do you want me to have? You know. And it's like, I, I guess like they would applaud me more for twerking than they would me boxing. And it doesn't make sense to me. And in, in MMA, you got badasses like Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm, and they're respected over there. And that's what. I, that's kind of what. I won. I thought I could do it for boxing, but it just seemed like, I don't know. I I guess I'm not good enough to do it for boxing.
4: Well, let me ask you this, Clarissa. What does respect look like to you? Because pay-per-view, like there are a lot of male fighters, you're right, that are on pay-per-view. But pay-per-view in boxing lately has been a disaster. Like these fights have not generated anything close to what Expectations would be even a fight the magnitude of Fury versus Wilder that did a big number, but it was way below the expectations. Like, would you be willing to go on pay per view and you know roll the dice that that you can draw the kind of crowd you need to draw to make the kind of money you want to make?
6: Absolutely, if they give me the opportunity. And the thing is, too, um, all I ask for is equal fight time. That means. Three minutes, 12 rounds, like the men. Um, equal promotion. Don't promote my fight three weeks, but promote the male fight eight weeks and ten weeks out. And equal promotion, like, how they pay for all the commercials and stuff that go for the men's boxing, how they, you know, have them on the commercials and they have all these, you know, um, things on TV and stuff like that. If they would do the, do the same thing with me, I guarantee I could generate great numbers, but they don't put that kind of backing behind me. And I've even had talks with the networks that I've been fighting for. And I tell them like the fight with me and Hannah Gabriels, I promoted that fight. That was me off my social media and it got over 430 K views. And um, I know that I have a huge fan base because when I go to Vegas, when I went to Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, I take more pictures than them. I have to, I get stopped walking through the whole thing. I can't get to where I got to go. I had to go and pay for for two security guards just to walk through the MGM Grand. If I'm not a known fighter and I don't have fans, why am I being stopped at all of these fights, even at the MMA fights? I'm a known fighter, but we won't know what kind of numbers that a woman pay-per-view can do unless you make the best fight and and give us all three of those things. You know, and even if the whole 123 minute thing is like a big push, but still just make the best fights and then actually promote us. And you know, tell our stories and come to our backgrounds because every woman's boxing background is not the same. You know, but it's just, that's what I fight that they need to do. Before they say that we can't get these kind of numbers, Put me on pay-per-view and then let me see the numbers.
4: That's it. All right, but what, what, what's, a, what's a pay-per-view opponent then for you? Because, I mean, that's the key to all of it, right? Like, yeah. a big fight is not just a big fighter. You are an extremely well-known fighter. It's a big fight that sells yeah. on pay-per-view. Who's a, who's a pay-per-view opponent for you?
6: At the moment, it would have been Cecilia Brockes, I feel like. You know, just with her pedigree and everything she had going. But I feel like, too, she wasn't really known in America.
4: No. Yeah, you're right.
6: So, I will have to say it would be Katie, Taylor, or have to Layla Ali, of course, or we have to wait till on Cruz builds herself up some more, and I feel like the only way she'll be able to do, build herself up more is if they have to start that now, promoting her the right way, giving her the best matchups, and putting that back and behind her. These guys don't just become pay-per-view stars. Like, I know for a fact, like, Showtime gives, like, some guys acting roles, you know what I mean? And they be on, up on these TV shows and stuff like that. But it's like we don't get that same respect as women fighters to go and have us a cameo on a show to where we can get our face and our name out there more. We don't We don't get the luxury of that.
4: You uh, to, just to turn it back quickly to MMA, um, you know boxers jumping to MMA, it hasn't really gone well over the <laughs> years. I mean, I I mean I remember being cage side for when James Tony tried it. and yeah. he got it was embarrassed in that fight. It's just yeah. they're combat sports, but as you know, they're you know they're two entirely different sports. Yeah. What makes you confident that you can not only transition but do it at a high level?
6: Um. Boxing is boxing, but MMA, I, I always give myself a 100% win factor. So I've already done some jiu classes, and I've already done some, uh, you know, wrestling classes and worked on some kicks, just about doing that and doing it consistently for me. And um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to jump in anything. Like, when I transition um, next year, you're not going to see me in the ring to a good July You know what I mean? June, July, July, August, some time in there. But I'm going to spend that time learning and figuring out what kind of style that I can have in MMA to be successful. Like, my boxing is never going to go anywhere. That's stored in here. It's there. But I got to find a way to add the kicks and the wrestling and everything, you know, up into it to make it to where whatever I have to do inside of there to win, I can do. And I'm, and have, I'm, you, have
4: you have you watched Clarissa? Have you watched some of these lighter weight women do it? I mean, Heather Hardy tried it; it didn't really go all that well. Amanda Serrano mixed results there. I mean, have you watched them as they've kind of tried to phase into the other sport?
6: Yeah, I did. And what I would say about Heather Hardy is she's older, you know, and um, she wasn't really like a big puncher when it came to boxing. And I and and I, and I love Heather Hardy. I think she's tough as nails, but I always thought her skills could be better. Um, Amanda Serrano, we both know is a is a powerhouse, but also too I feel like um, I don't know I just don't see her as being like a rough fighter. To where I'm a I'm a rough, rugged, tough fighter. Like I can box my ass off, but I'm, I'm also rough, I'm rugged, and I'm aggressive. And I don't mind you know getting the bruise here and there. And I don't think that um, Amanda ha- like has it. Like she'll go in there, she'll knock you out for sure. But it's like when it comes to like a back and forth wars, it's always been one-sided for her. Like I don't mind going back and forth and seeing who got, who got the last ounce at the end. You know, I can, I can do that, you know? So I feel like too, um, just, just me being who I am, like boxing is more of like, it's, it's way more controlled and MMA is like, to me, it's like a street fight. It's a, it's a strategic street fight. And so I'm going to get strategically ready. Like I know I can box, but I have to learn how to wrestle and get out of certain positions and um learn how to get out of certain submissions. And I feel like I can do that. And I'm going to go and get the best trainers and, you know, just work. Just like I have in boxing, I'm going to just work, work and drill and drill. And then we'll see what, see what the results are. But I don't. Plan on um, losing to anybody and any and up at any time soon, no matter what sport it is. If I felt like I was just going to lose going to MMA, I wouldn't do it. I would just keep dealing with what I'm dealing with in boxing. But I feel like I can make a great transition and just be a bigger star than what I am in boxing because of all the equal opportunities that they give you during MMA.
4: So I take it while you're still in boxing, you're going to be rooting pretty hard for Katie Taylor this weekend in a rematch with Delphine Pursoon.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the thing. People People think that um, I have something against Katie. People are crazy. I've never been a hater in my life. Like, I'm proud of Jessica McCaskill for doing what she did. And I was never a Cecilia. I just wanted to fight her. And with Katie, like I said, our skill sets are – one A and one B. And it really depends on what you like looking at, on who you decide who's the better fighter out of out of me and her. And um I want her to do well. You know, I think that she's good for women's boxing. I wish she would talk a little bit more because we don't really know much. But I would love to hear her just, I don't know, hear her opinions about some things and see how she feels. But, you know, everybody isn't as outspoken as me. So I guess that's okay. But her skills speak. Uh, speak volumes and uh, hopefully she makes the right adjustments to make this fight easier with Delphine Pursun because the first fight was very very close and I was there in person for that mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully she can make the right adjustments and make this fight easier is she going to fight against yeah. Amanda Serrano? That's the question I have for you.
4: I don't think so. I think there's too much bad blood between promoters, managers uh, to have that fight happen anytime soon I wish it would, but oh, I think that's fits. off the table.
6: Oh wow! Yeah. Okay,
4: not good news. Yeah. Okay, not not not, not good news for <laughs> sure. Um, let to to finish up here. You know, on a, on a separate topic, I mean, obviously, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has been sweeping across the country. Uh, I'm down here in Orlando, where NBA players are taking a strong position on it. Um, but you are home now in Flint, Michigan, and I feel like what's going on in Flint continues to get overlooked. I mean, Kyle Kuzma for the Lakers is from Flint. Uh, you are from Flint. Explain to me what the situation is right now with the water supply in Flint and what needs to happen in your mind for things to improve.
6: Um, I think it's just well, right now with the pandemic has slowed, slowed a lot of things down, but the water crisis here is still going on. Um, Flint Michigan still needs clean water. And that goes to do with the pipes being fixed and um, the water supply being switched back to where it was before. And I feel like they switched it back already, but they also now have to, you know, fix the pipes. And um, I really don't know where that is, but I always, to people that want to help out with Flint, always send pallets of water. If you want to bring it to the churches, if you want to bring it to some of the Salvation Armies, they always have like a, like a day of the week, or maybe two days, where they let families come and get four or five cases of water, um, you know, for their families. And it'd be a long line wrapped around, I don't know how many blocks. You got to show up a couple of hours early just to get a line for the water. But the water, you know, helps. But Flint is still just, and it's not in a great um, position, but it's just a fighting city, you know, it, it's, it's really just a fighting city. And even though, They've been going. We've been going such a hard, you know, through such hardships. I feel like my family has um, been dealing with the water crisis, well, but it feel like we deserve clean water. And it's not just people always talking about the water crisis, but it's a high poverty level here in Flint, Michigan, um, and that also affects kids growing up, going through poverty. That's why you see a lot of kids go to jail, hungry, while they're up there, you know, stealing and robbing people. Cause they're, cause they're living in poverty and they and they trying to provide for their families, but also with that, I mean, just the crime rate is up the roof. You know, we have a high percentage of murders here and a high percentage of murders that don't get solved. And you know, and I feel like that goes into we need more police officers. Um, we need to have cameras on our on our lights and cameras at our stores, like they do in other cities, so people that people know that. There are consequences for when you do illegal stuff. But um, Flint is kind of put at a disadvantage with all those things, not just the water crisis. The water crisis adds to it because that's messing with kids and making them think slower and just the land water affects them mentally. But other than that, we've already been going through problems before then. So it's the domino effect that all those problems need to be fixed
4: yeah yeah i agree with you it's just amazing to me that all these years later the the water crisis is still a thing that it still has not been resolved yeah. uh, in flint michigan so hopefully hopefully some action gets taken on it sometime soon uh claressa uh looking forward to seeing you back in the ring whenever that is and maybe in the octagon in <laughs> 2021 that'll be uh fun to watch thanks uh thanks for joining me
6: no problem thank you
4: Alright, that's it for this week's episode my thanks to my guests as always subscribe to the podcast over at apple Podcasts, rate review you know i appreciate it and i'll see you next week
1: i'm diosa and i'm mala we are the creators of locatora radio a radiophonic novella which is a fancy way of saying a podcast, podcast.